when I was in high school, uh, actually I was in, in middle school when my older sister began to start driving. Uh, I am number two in a family line of six kids. There are six kids in my family, and I'm number two, the oldest boy, uh, but the second child. And so my sister, Cheryl, had the opportunity to learn how to drive first, and she's kind of a, one of those tense drivers, always kind of a, not intimidated, but very, very cautious, wants to be precise in all that she did. And she was talking about the tests and all the signs, and she was getting ready to go uh, move beyond her permit to get her driver's license, the actual take the test and do all those things. And so I, being the loving brother that I was, I wanted to be very encouraging and just speak life to her and help her out. And so I told her, I said, hey, Cheryl, did you know, I just learned this. Did you know that all of the stop signs that have white lines around the red, those are all optional stop signs. Some of you will catch that on the way home. It's fine. You haven't had enough coffee yet to pick up on that. My sister was a little bit gullible. And so she was like, no way. I'm like, yeah, it's completely optional. You don't have to stop at those. You just kind of look around and keep keep going. And she's like, that makes so much sense. There are so many of those. I was like, I know it's the best. Not everybody knows it, but now you know it. She soon found out that that wasn't the case and promptly has not let me forget that I tricked her in that way. How many of you know, you can't always believe everything that you hear. One of my uh, favorites recently, it was probably about a year ago. There's a satire site, website that puts out articles, typically uh, as it relates to the Christian world and the Christian faith, uh, but they're not true at all. They just kind of take a thing of truth and kind of in a satirical way explode it. And my favorite was one uh, where they said that there was a church out of Charlotte who had a huge water slide going into their baptism tank. And so they would send people down the water slide and it was a way that they got their baptism numbers up was just because of this water slide that was on the stage. And, and what was funny was the, not so much the article, it was so crazy to me, uh, but what was funny was the sheer number of people who were fully convinced it was true because they read it on the internet. It had to be true. And it was so funny to me to see those things, you know, we can't always believe everything that we hear. From God, we need to believe it. There are some things that God speaks to our heart. We must take him at his word and believe him. Believe that what he says is true. Last week, we started a, a series entitled Faith works. And we looked at the first part of the cycle, how faith is cyclical in our lives. We go through cycles in our lives. And, and the first part of the cycle starts with faith hearing. You got to hear what God is saying so that you can move on to the next step. That's the first ignition of faith in our lives is when God speaks and we hear him speak. Some of us have really wavering faith and faith is kind of a, an elusive thing in our lives because we have yet to learn and to figure out how to hear God speak. We're not sure. And so we, we need to get this first part right. Faith hears. And so today uh, I wanted to move to, to the next part of the cycle and talk to you about how faith not only hears, but faith must also believe. Faith hears and faith also Believes. Now, I want to give us kind of a working definition of faith, if you don't mind. And it's a little bit wordy, 
Uh, but it is, I try to be as complete and concise as I possibly could because when I say faith, a lot of people just think about general belief system. When I say faith, some people might think about faith as it relates specifically to God. When I say faith, some of you might think back to your charismatic days and word of faith movement days and think that faith means the very thing that gets God to do what you want him to do. Some of us, we hear the word faith and we think, well, that's how we believe God for stuff. I mean, that's what we do. That's just kind of, and sometimes it's hard to define and grasp and hold on to what faith really means. So I wanted to give us kind of a, a framework of understanding what faith is. And this is what I wrote. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. It says this, faith is the activity of believing in your heart and your spirit, which gives us the ability, having that faith, making that action, it gives us the ability to be intimately acquainted with the person, the purpose, and the promises of God. Having faith, faith gives us, it's, it's this activity that we have in our heart and in our spirits that allows us to become personally and intimately acquainted with the person of God. That's called salvation. It allows us to be intimately equated with the, the promises that God has, to receive, to receive God's promises in our lives. That's the blessing of God comes by way of faith. So, so faith is that avenue. It's that vehicle that allows that, to trans, that transaction to take place. But it also allows us to, to, to live out the purpose that God has for our lives. We cannot live for God without faith. And so that's kind of the, the working definition of faith. And to kind of help us, I, I kind of broke it down into stages for us. And, and so there are, there are about four stages of faith, of a growing faith. Because the first stage always has to start with that God is. That's kind of the, the initiation of faith, believing that God is. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that with, without faith, it is impossible to please God, because he who believes must first believe that God is. God is, is the first stage. But it moves on to not just that God is, it moves on to, we have to move on to that God is good. Because you could believe that God is a lot of things. But if you don't come to the conclusion that God is good, you come to the wrong conclusion. Hebrews 11, 6 goes on to say that, so he must first believe that God is and that he is a rewarder to those who diligently. In other words, that God wants to do good things in your life, but you first have to start with that God is. Move to the understanding that, man, God is good. And this is where most people stop. We, we don't have a problem that God is. We eventually can come to the conclusion that God is good despite the bad that we see in our world, despite the prayers that we don't feel like are answered, despite the expectations that don't seem like they're mixed. We get to the point where we say, you know what, though? God is still good. And the next step that we want to take, the next stage is that God is good to me. It's not that God is good to those people out there, to the people who live good lives, who pray good prayers, who know how to worship real good and have beautiful voices when they sing and know where to find books in the Bible like Hebrews and like you're, you're trying to find it and you're not sure where it's at. And so, so God must be good, but he can't be good to me because I don't know enough stuff. I don't know that I've lived a good enough life. Listen, God's goodness in your life has nothing to do with your behavior. 
it has everything to do with his posture towards you that says that God is good and he wants to be good to you. God is. God is good. God is good to me. And when we really begin to develop and mature in our faith, we begin to live from a place that we understand that God is good through me. That the goodness of God, the way it is seen, is through the people of God. It's the people of God who demonstrate and live out the goodness of God. And if I'm going to be a person of God, if I'm going to be somebody that's going to follow God, if I'm going to be somebody that, that is not only going to receive God's goodness to me, I need to make the switch to understand that it's about me realizing that God is good through me to somebody else. And that's really where we begin to partner with God in building the kingdom of God. Because God is good, God is, and that's kind of the the cycle and, and kind of what it looks like when we break it down, that God is, God is good, God is good to me, and we move to where God is good through me. Which brings me to Hebrews 11 and verse 1. See, those are the steps, and somewhere, if we're going to move from God is, to God is good, to God is good to me, to God is good through me, we have to understand how faith works. That faith first hears, but faith also believes. Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says this. This is kind of our, our main launch point today. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. Faith is confidence and what you're hoping for. Faith, one version says, is the substance of the stuff that you're hoping for. Faith is the substance. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Faith is that thing that lives and is activated in our lives that helps us to see and to grab a hold of and have a clear picture of the hope that lives in us, of the hope that God is growing in us. Hope is so important to your life. And there are many people living without hope. They don't hope for a better life. They don't hope for God's blessings. They don't hope for any improvement. They don't hope to make a difference. They don't hope to live significant lives. They just hope not to die. Newsflash. It's going to happen, right? Just keep breathing and you'll prolong it. Some of you are like, what? Seriously? Yeah, no, that's how it works. Just keep breathing and you'll keep living. In and out, right? Like that's how it works. But there is a hope that God wants to breathe in you. I want you to get this. Hope is the picture that you have for whatever it is that you're moving towards. When it comes to exercise and building a healthier version of yourself, hope is the picture. Hope is the vision that you have that helps you move past how you feel to where you actually live with discipline to do the things that are necessary to obtain the hope that you see in your mind. And when there is no hope, And there's just wishing, man, I really wish I was in shape. I really wish I could X, Y, and Z. I really wish, that's not hope, that's wishing. 
Hope is where you get this clear HD picture. It becomes the blueprint for your life to say, you know what? If this is God's promise for my marriage, I'm holding on to hope. If this is God's promise for what it looks like to raise godly kids, I'm holding on to hope. That's the picture. And faith is the substance that brings the picture that you see into the reality that you live. That's a good place to say amen. I didn't even pre-write that one. That one was free flow. Drop me a beat and we'll see what happens. I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, seriously, I'm white, chill. Now faith. Get myself into trouble, Derek. Help me out. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Things hoped for. Of things hoped for. Hope is what is born in our hearts when we hear God. When God speaks to you, when faith hears something, hope is what is born. Hope is what is born. Hope is what's birthed. Hope is what begins to be the picture that you see of what it means to have a healthy child. Hope is the picture that you see of what it means to be financially stable and generous. Hope is that picture. Hope is the picture. And when we hear God, hope is born. Faith hears. But the next step that we're talking about today is that faith believes. Somewhere between hearing God and believing God is a choice. Belief is is a choice. You can choose to believe that there are churches that have water slides on their stage. Or you can choose not. You can choose to believe that there are some optional stop signs. It is a choice you could make. Somewhere between hearing, hope being born, and believing is a choice to believe it. Is this helpful? I'm trying to break it down as best I can. Somewhere between hearing and believing is your choice. It's your choice. It's your choice. And what you do in that moment of choice determines what happens with your hope. I'll prove it to you. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, just if you got a paper Bible, just flip a few pages to your left and you'll get there. Hebrews 3, we find the writer of Hebrews kind of describing some things to us as it relates to some people uh, of God, to the children of God. I didn't read it to you, but in Hebrews 11 and verse 2, it says, it talks about how the ancients had this kind of faith. Faith that was the substance of things hoped for, the, the, the confidence of things yet seen. There were many ancients, the saints of old, who had that kind of faith. And Hebrews 11 lists out all of, a lot of them. Now, I'm not going to say all of them because that's not true. Hebrews 11 is like the hall of fame for faith people. 
Right, like you're walking down the halls of the enshrinement of Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. And it talks about how the ancients did this, and they believed this, and then they, this happened. They heard this, and then they believed this. They heard this, and then they believed this. They heard this, and then they acted out in faith. And because faith works when you work it. And it talks about the ancients, but, but not everybody of old, of the ancient, of the ancestors, not everybody lived with that kind of faith. And that's really what we start to read about here in Hebrews chapter 3, because there is a difference between belief and unbelief. And the difference between belief and unbelief is a choice. The difference between believing that God is and believing that God is not is a choice. The difference between believing that God is good and believing that God is not good is a choice. Believing, the difference between believing that God is good to me and that God is only good to the people around me is a choice. And it's only a choice that you can make. I can't make that one for you. You can borrow my faith. I can believe in faith with you and for you. But at the end of the day, it's really about Your choice, faith or unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to start in in verse 7. It says, so as as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, come on, faith first must hear. Faith hears. So if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion, pretty strong words, we'll unpack them, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. God's saying, they tested and they tried me. Though for 40 years, they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said that their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger that says they shall not enter my rest. So many people today are living restless lives because we have yet to fully believe what we heard. The only thing that the disconnect, it wasn't that they didn't see God's faithfulness. Oh no, God was very faithful to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And I'll tell you more about it in a second. God was with them every day. They had a whole cloud to lead them by day and a huge pillar of fire in the sky at night to show them the directions. They didn't need Siri. They had a cloud and fire. They didn't need Google Maps. They had a huge pillar of fire in the sky. Hard to miss a pillar of fire in the sky, my friends. When it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. They saw God's miraculous hand in every season, at every turn. They saw God do amazing things, yet they still chose not to believe. They still chose not to believe. Why? Because between hearing God and believing in God and believing for what God says, there's a choice. Verse 12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That turns away from a living and loving God. The children of Israel 
were bound and captives and slaves for, for years in Egypt. Brutal taskmasters. Brutal. For years. And then God sent Moses to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. That's the best Moses voice I got. And Pharaoh said no. And Moses was like, uh, um, oh, oh, okay. Um, but God said that there's some plagues coming. If you don't let my people go, Pharaoh's like, I'll take my chances. So after 10 plagues, Nile River turning to blood, locusts eating up everything, right? Frogs everywhere. Talk about a nightmare. Jesus, help us all. Right? Like warts had to have been a problem at some point, right? Like I don't think there was enough essential oils to go around for the warts that were showing up for the frogs that were everywhere. Panic at the disco happening right here. Nobody knows. Livestock killing over. Cattle ranchers were crying for the first time in their life. Like, oh my God, my cows are dead. Like everything wiped out. Plague after plague after plague. And and finally at the last plague, when there was a, a death angel that came through and killed the firstborn of everybody who wasn't under the blood of Jesus, which is a whole nother story I could preach about forever on that. And I ain't going to do it because I ain't got time today. But read your Bible. It's amazing. The blood of Jesus has some power. Everybody who had house had some blood over the doors. A death angel totally skipped over and they survived. Everybody who didn't have that, mainly all of the Egyptians, lost the firstborn that day. And it was at that moment when Pharaoh was crying and crushed and upset, all of a sudden his heart, heart was no longer hard. I heard that somewhere recently. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let my people go. No. Let my people go. No. There's a choice between hearing and believing there's a choice. And eventually, Pharaoh was like, fine, go. And so they left, all millions of them, and on their way out, they were like, hey, give us your gold. And so the Egyptians were like, okay, as long as you leave, and started throwing like gold to them. That's where they got all the gold to build the golden calf, because they had a bunch of gold now that they had never had before. And they had more blessing than they had character to do. Oh, I wish I could preach something good today. Oh, man. And they had more gold because they didn't ever have that. And now they had it and their character couldn't handle the blessing that God was giving them. And they decided to be restless and started to worship things they were never meant to worship. And God says, don't have any more idols before me. But they decided to build a gold cow because they got a bunch of gold and they don't know what to do with it. Coming back to center, Greg, I just got to. And God led his people. Cloud at day, fire at night. Gave him bread that fell from the sky that he didn't have to bake it. Just showed up every day. It was enough for what they needed. It was their daily bread. He provided water from rocks. Put a snake on a pole and everybody who looked at it was healed instantly. Their shoes never wore out. Come on, 40 years, same pair of shoes. Even Nike Jordans can't bring you that. Bad example, sorry. Too soon? (laughs) Stay on topic, Matthew. Stay on topic. God provided for their every need. They were in the wilderness. 
They were in the wilderness. And he comes to them and says, hey, if you hear his voice, and we're reminded of this story here in Hebrews chapter 3. That's the story that it's referring to. That's the children of Israel. Because God had promised the children of Israel, I am giving you a promised land. It's a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, everything in that land is what you need to sustain healthy, blessed lives from here on. Everything that you need is in this land, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. That was the promise that they heard. That was the hope that was their future. That was the hope that they had pictured, painted for them. That was the hope that they lived, this hope of this promised land. That was the hope that they wanted. That was what they wanted to hear. That was what they were going after. And God says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did. Because somewhere between hearing the promise about the promised land and believing along the way, something ate away at their hope. And I know so many people who show up to church and they got a lot of hope. And they show up for a little while and hope is strong. And then they run into difficult times and hope begins to evaporate. And it begins to disappear. And trouble comes. And hope begins to deteriorate right before their eyes. And this thing that was so clear becomes so distorted. And we begin to lose hope. Hard hearts result when hope begins to disappear. Who is it that has a hard heart? People who have lost hope begin to have a hard heart. Hope begins to disappear when our expectation and our experience don't line up. When what we expect, when we expected to get the promotion, but our experience was that it got passed on to the one person in the office who we thought didn't deserve it. When disappointment shows up, hope begins to deteriorate. It doesn't have to, but it can. When you expected this person to live a long life, but they died too early, hope begins to deteriorate. When the marriage that you thought you would have somehow isn't the marriage that you're experiencing right now, hope begins to deteriorate. And when hope completely dissolves, you live with a hard heart. And you make a choice not to believe anymore. You make a choice not to believe anymore. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do whatever it takes to keep hope alive. Do whatever it takes to not live based on your experience. Do whatever it takes to live based on God's word. Because God's word supersedes your experience. Where you are missing hope, where hope used to be so clear and the vision was so strong and there was life behind it and you feel like it's just kind of thrown off to the wayside and you are living with less hope, get it back because you don't want to harden your heart. He goes on to say, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. 
Have you ever walked through a wilderness experience where it was just really difficult? A really tragic thing happened in your life? You lose somebody that you love. What you thought you would get, you didn't get. See, these disappointments, these discouragements, these delays, these deaths that occur in our life, they have a way of sparking grief that grinds away at our ability to believe. When you wake up one day and realize that for the last seven years you've been abused verbally by somebody, grinds away at your ability to believe. When you wake up one day and realize that the liberties that your uncle took with you when you were a 13-year-old little girl, all of a sudden, it's grinded away at your ability to believe. Why? Because grief has a way of deteriorating and eating away at our hope. And we find ourselves in these seasons of wilderness. I, I like to, my pastor said it this way, and I had never really seen it. It was just kind of a, just seemed like God was speaking to us some things and speaking to him some things, but we never really landed on it in scripture. And then this week when I was studying this passage, God kind of showed me this is the anchor point of that scripture. This is the anchor point of that thought. And here's the thought, that when we walk through tragic times in our lives, when our expectations don't come anywhere close to our experience, when we're disappointed, discouragement is creeping in in our life again and again, when we find ourselves grieving over something, it is like we begin this window of grace, this parentheses that God begins in our lives. It's like a parentheses that starts because here's the tragedy and God says, you know what, I'm going to step in with my grace and I'm just going to start covering some things because they're processing, they're trying to figure it out. They are in a wilderness experience and God in his grace shows up in your life and he begins to, to make sure the shoes that you're wearing don't wear out anymore. And you're, you're not sure that you can keep on momming, but you got to keep on momming anyways. And somehow God's grace shows up to help you keep momming. And you're not sure if you can show up to work because you're not sure if you can face people who have been betraying you and backstabbing you, but somehow God's grace shows up and you're able to keep going to work day after day. And God begins this window of time in your life. It's like he creates this parentheses in this moment. And all through the course of that time, his grace is more than sufficient. It's almost as if consequences that would come and totally crash and destroy your life don't crash as hard as they once could. Where decisions that you make when you're reeling and you're frustrated and you're hurt, those decisions don't bear the same kind of detrimental fruit that they could have. Why does God give us this window of time? Why is this parenthesis started? You want to know why? Because God loves you enough to let you process it. He's protecting your hope and he's not holding. It's almost as if there's, I'm not going to say he doesn't hold us accountable for our decisions because I can't really prove that. But it's as if his grace is just enough to help you figure out how to move on to the next season of your life. And hope shows up, and it's like hope doesn't die completely. It might be dim, but it doesn't get died out altogether. And hope is there, and there's this parenthesis, this window of grace allowing you to grieve properly. And it's in that window of time that God says, if you will come through at the end of that, making a decision to still believe, I'll return everything that the devil tried to steal in your life. 
And if we come at the end of that parenthesis, and when does it end? I don't know. It's different for every season, for every person, every situation, every occurrence in your life. And whenever God begins to deal with you and tries to bring you back and tries to bring hope into your life, and he brings people across your path to encourage you, if you refuse the encouragement, that's a choice that you make. But at the end of it, eventually it closes out, and God is saying, when that closes out, whatever you do, don't harden your heart. Whatever you do, don't let hope disappear. Whatever you do, choose to still believe. And God gives you time to process that. And it's different for every person and different for every season. And for some of you, you've been in a long season. And for some of you, you feel like that parenthesis is starting to close. It's like the grace seems like it's running out like, It's as if consequences and decisions and things that you're making are starting to, you're starting to feel the weight of those things a little bit more. Starting, starting to, to, to be there and be more present. Can I, can I help you with something, friends? When you're in the wilderness and you're starting to feel the weight of those things, choose to believe still. Allow the pain to be brought to the Lord. And in that moment, allow him to breathe life into it. Allow him to breathe life into it. What's interesting about these tests and these trials that we go through, because we're all going to go through them and we all walk through them. We have a tendency to believe that these tests and these trials are all about us. We have a tendency to think that these tests and these trials are somehow retribution maybe. And this is where we start to skew our understanding that God is good because we think that the trial that we're walking through is in response to something evil that we did. But that's not the case. See, tests and trials come not to show how weak we are or to show to us what's missing in our lives. Your test is not about helping you to fail. Tests in your life show up to prove who God is in your life. They're not about you. It's not tests in school. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, hear me. Your teacher is not giving you tests to try and catch you in how little you know. Tests are really about how well they're teaching. Tests reveal how well they're teaching. Now, you've got a part to play in that. You have a response, students, to learn and to grow and to listen and to study and to pay attention and to put the phone away and take notes and learn what's going on, right? You've got a responsibility in the process. But tests aren't really just about you. Tests, teachers don't give you tests to try and catch you in what you don't know. They're trying to help you realize what you do know. The same is true in our lives. God, these tests that we walk through, these wilderness experience, they're not about you not having faith to make it through. It's not about you not being strong enough. Well, it kind of is because you're not supposed to be walking in your own strength. It's when you're weak that his strength shows up and says, what's up? I'm stronger. See, your test isn't about you. It's actually about the goodness and the strength and the faithfulness of God. Verse nine, where your ancestors tested and tried me. The wilderness experience that you're walking through isn't so much so that God can prove how bad of a Christian you are and how weak your faith is. No, it's an opportunity for him to show up and to test his faithfulness in your life. 
God is trying to prove how strong he wants to be in you and through you. That God is not only, not only that God is, but that he is good. He's trying to show off the fact that he wants to be good to you. And not only that, when you come through the end of that trial, you're going to be standing and testifying and helping other people who are walking through the same thing. So now you've come to the point in your life where somebody else is grieving. You show up because God is now good through me to them to help them in the moment of their weakness, to help them in their trial, to help them in the moment where they need somebody to come alongside and say, hey, quit feeling sorry for yourselves. Pick your face up. Put your hope in God. God wants to move you to where he's not only just some deity in the sky, but where you make a choice to believe that he is. He is good. He is good to you. He wants to be good through you. I heard a story recently about a famous handball athlete. Didn't really know that that was a real thing, but apparently it is. And this famous handball athlete is really unique because this handball athlete only has one hand. And they were really amazed at how he got to be the best handball athlete with only one hand. You would think that he would be down in the ranks, but somehow he's always been on top. And they were curious. And they says, how is it that you got to be the best handball athlete when you only have one hand? Well, how is this weakness even something good? And you're like, how is this even possible? He says this, he says, every single athlete who has two hands has to waste a split second or two to decide which hand to use. I don't. He only can depend on one hand. Friends, I came to tell you today that God is doing some things in your life. There might be a wilderness experience that you're walking through. He's just trying to help you realize that the only one that you need to depend on is him. You don't need to depend on a substance. You don't need to depend on your bank account. You don't need to depend on your good efforts and how good you think you are at life. You just need to start depending on God because he's the only one you need. He's the only one. He wants to be the only option in our life. Because God is. He's good. He wants to be good to you. And he wants to be good through you. But faith has to believe. Your ancestors, they, they tested and they tried me, God said. Though, for 40 years, they saw the good that I did. For 40 years, they saw it. For 40 years, they saw the good that God did. For 40 years, they became very familiar with the fact that God did good things, that God answered prayer. They became real, real familiar. Friends, familiarity is a hard heart clothed in a religious spirit. Familiarity is a hard heart cloaked and covered and disguised as a believing heart, as a mature heart, but it's just a religious spirit. In Mark, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus was on the scene and he said he was in his hometown and he could do no mighty miracles there because of their 
unbelief. Because they had something in them that said, isn't this, isn't this Joseph's boy? Isn't this just the carpenter's son? I mean, this, didn't I go to middle school with this cat? I mean, did, didn't we used to skip rocks down by the river Jordan together? Isn't this Joseph's boy? They, they were so familiar with what they thought that they missed out on what God could have brought. I've heard that sermon before. I've read that verse before. I've been to church before. I've prayed before. I mean, I tried that once. I mean, I've been going to church my whole life. Familiarity is nothing but a hard heart clothed and disguised and deceived by a religious spirit. Don't harden your hearts, friends. Don't let familiarity breed this religious spirit in you that says, "Eh, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. I've studied that. I've learned that. I've prayed that. What else you got, pastor? Don't do it. I don't care how many times you've been around the block. There's still an unfolding revelation of God's goodness that he wants to show you in your life. There's a difference somewhere between hearing and believing is a choice. Hear me. Unbelief is the core and the birth of every sin. Unbelief is the core and and the root of every sin that you deal with in your life. Every one of them can be traced all the way back to a choice to believe or not. Think about it, the very first sin. Did God really say that? Do you really want to believe that what God said is true? Nah, you need to test it out for yourself. And the Bible says Eve made a choice to take of the fruit and eat. Why? Because she chose not to believe God in that moment. When you're walking in pride, you know what you're really walking in? A choice to not believe that God's way is the best way. A choice to believe that his strength isn't better than your strength, so you just up the effort. It doesn't work that way. Unbelief is a choice that we make, and it is at the core of every sin that we see and experience in our life. Friends, I want to be real clear. Unbelief is not the same thing as doubt. Unbelief and doubt are not the same thing. Doubt is uncertainty or it has a lack of clarity to it. It's, it's, it's wanting to know more, but it's not more. It, there's something that doubt comes in where you're just unsure. That's different. Doubt is different. We're all going to have doubts. There's a story in Mark chapter, uh, uh, Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, there was a dad whose boy was paralyzed. And he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you can, would you heal my boy? He's having seizures, throwing himself in the fire. And Jesus says, if you have faith, I can. All things are possible to him who believes. And the the dad, I believe with brokenness and honesty and sincerity said, I believe, 
help where I don't. Sometimes we have doubts and God is gracious and loving and he wants to help us find assurance and clarity in our doubts. But unbelief, that's a choice. That's a choice to say, I'm not going to believe. I'm going to believe in something else. Somewhere between faith hearing and faith believing is a choice. There is a difference between believing in the promises of God and believing for the promises of God. There's a difference. There's a difference. It's like a vacuum cleaner that's got two clicks on it. The first click powers it on and it starts the suction process. One of these real expensive vacuum cleaners we got around here. First click turns it on and it starts the process going. That's kind of like believing that that what you heard, that would be true. Yeah, I believe in that. That's good. But when you take a click to the second click, of this vacuum, it actually begins to activate some brushes and it kicks in a little drive that has a little motor and it starts to move a little bit, this vacuum does. That second click is the difference between believing in the promises of God and starting to believe for the promises of God. Some of you have been walking with God for a while and you generally believe that the promises of God are true. You just haven't come to the place where you're actively believing that they are gonna come true in your life today. You're believing in them to be true, but you have yet to activate and click that mode to where you're starting to believe for them to show up in your life. Faith is what's connecting you to the hope. And that faith clicks it in a second gear and says, I not only believe that it is true, I'm believing that it is true for me today. It was about a little over two years ago. My pastor was preaching this series and I was sitting on the front row and he used an illustration of how hope is like the promise of God over here. And he had a chair on the stage. Hope is this picture. That's what you hear. It's the promise of God. And we see the hope and we're like, yeah, I believe in that. God wants to heal. I believe in that. God can restore my marriage. I want to believe in that. God wants to provide all of my needs. I want to believe in that. I believe that that's the kind of God that I serve. But believing is making a choice to take a rope. No no joke. This is the illustration. To take a rope and to lasso the promise of God. Faith is the rope. It's the substance. It's the consistency. It's the thing, right? Faith is what connects me to the promise. And he lassoed the promise of God around this chair. And he says, making a choice to believe is choosing to throw the rope of faith that now attaches you to the promise of God. And your faith, when activated, begins to pull the promises of God into your life. And the Spirit of the Lord arrested me in that moment and said, Son, you've been walking and making a choice not to believe. It's like, what do you mean, Lord? He says, you believe that the promises are true. You've just never thrown the rope. And I was walking in unbelief. I believed that the promise of God for my life was to pastor and to lead a church and a congregation. I believed that that existed. I just wasn't active in believing that it was coming into my life. So I wasn't pursuing it. 
I wasn't preparing for it. I wasn't taking steps that I needed to take to plan for it. I just was sitting back thinking, yep, it's there. But God said, it's time to throw the rope. And it was that afternoon that God began to speak to my wife's heart and my heart about moving to Fort Scott, Kansas. All because I made a decision to throw the rope of faith because I made a choice between hearing and actively believing for the promises of God to be true in my life. Will you stand with me and bow your heads and close your eyes as we close out today? I believe this word is for somebody in here today. Some of you, you've been in that season of grief, that window, that wilderness time, and God is trying to get your attention to say, whatever you do, be sure you still choose to believe my grace is enough, walk through it, recognize that I'm proving myself to you. I'm not running from you. Let me embrace you and watch God provide for you. Some of you need to make that choice to say, God, I'm choosing to believe. I'm choosing to have hope. I'm choosing to trust in your plan. Some of you, you've heard God whisper some promises over your life, some things, some purposes he's whispered into your heart, but you have just kind of been knowing, yeah, okay, I can trust God on that, but you have not been throwing the rope of faith. You haven't activated those things. You have not yet really chosen to fully believe, and you've been walking in some unbelief, just like I was, and God is telling you today, it's time to repent and say, no, we're going to believe for these promises to be true, and you need to reactivate and re-engage your faith because faith not only hears, faith believes. Faith believes.